this is Alice, and you're listening to Peds Admin. What I'm trying to do is record a quick bolus of vaccine information that can supplement whatever vaccine administration training your occupational health or hospital is going to require that you do. Today, we'll talk about one, the phases of vaccine rollout, two, how to physically administer the COVID-19 vaccines, three, the CDC recommendations for talking with patients about the vaccine and how to phrase that conversation, and then four, a detailed explanation of vaccine science in relation to questions that patients might have, especially if they have a biology background. So number one, vaccine rollout update. So agree that it's been crazy. According to the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, as of December 22nd, 2020, we've got two phases. Phase one, which is select people, and then phase two, which is everyone over 16. Phase one is broken up into phase 1A, phase 1B, and phase 1C. In phase 1A, they're vaccinating healthcare personnel and residents of long-term care facilities. In phase 1B, they're vaccinating everyone over 75 and non-healthcare essential workers. And phase 1C is everyone over 65, everyone over 16 with a high-risk medical condition, and all essential workers that were not given the vaccine in phase 1B. Then phase two is just everyone over 16. So that's vaccine rollout update. Let's move on to topic number two, how to physically give the vaccine. Now, I agree that it's a pediatrician's literal job to vaccinate people, but it's really the nurses who have the expertise here. You can see an excellent video on how to give an intramuscular injection at registerednursern.com. And this information is from Nursing Guidelines. So we start with the six rights of nursing. So we want to administer the medication to the right patient. We want to make sure it's the right drug, the right dose, the right route, the right time, and that we have the right documentation ready to go. You start by obviously confirming which side the patient wants vaccinated and then isolating their deltoid muscle. Intramuscular injections in adults use the deltoid muscle. Some nursing guidelines do suggest that if the vaccine is over 2 mLs, then you need to use a bigger muscle. But in general, we're going to use the deltoid muscle, especially for these COVID-19 vaccines. You start by feeling for the bony acromion process at the top of the deltoid muscle. And then you select a spot that's about two finger widths down from that bony prominence. You swab the site with an alcohol swab and let the spot dry. You have the patient relax their deltoid muscle. And then you use something called the Z-track technique to isolate the muscle and minimize pain. In the Z-track technique, you're sweeping the subcutaneous tissue to the side and then giving the intramuscular injection at a 90-degree angle. This way, when you take the needle out and relax the subcutaneous tissue, your vaccine track ends up at an angle. The nurses recommend doing this by using your non-dominant hand, sort of the far side of your non-dominant hand to sweep the subcutaneous tissue to the side, and then using your dominant hand to quickly insert the needle at the injection site at a 90-degree angle, and then slowly press the plunger down. Nursing guidelines recommend pressing the plunger down at a rate about 10 seconds per ml. And I think that the COVID vaccine is a decent volume, but I'm not sure exactly how many mLs. Some nursing guidelines then recommend leaving the needle in for an additional 10 seconds while the fluid equilibrates and then pulling the needle out quickly at that same 90 degree angle and um, releasing the subcutaneous tissue to create that Z track. Okay, so that's how to give the intramuscular injection. We've talked about the vaccine rollout. We've talked about how to physically give the vaccine. Now let's review the CDC guidelines for discussing the vaccine with patients. 
I think it's kind of funny that the CDC has guidelines on it, but I also agree that these guidelines are life-saving. You want to start this conversation by acknowledging pandemic stress and end this conversation with a call to action. The most important part of the conversation, obviously, is eliciting questions about the vaccine and really listening to them. So acknowledge pandemic stress, assume that they will likely want to be vaccinated, but like everyone, have no idea what the timeline realistically will be. Give your strong medical recommendation that they do get vaccinated if vaccination is medically appropriate for them and then elicit their questions. If you're their doctor, you are, it's literally your job to answer their questions. Um, I agree with this. I also agree that we don't have a lot of time. It is what it is, right? And then you want to close this conversation by encouraging patients to act, by actively scheduling a vaccine for themselves or their family members, or by taking additional information from you about the vaccine and sort of reading it, distributing it, whatever. Okay, so those are the CDC guidelines on discussing the COVID vaccine with patients. Let's move on to the science of the mRNA vaccine and questions that patients might have about it. So most vaccines work by containing a weakened virus, containing an inactivated virus, or containing a key viral protein. Your body reacts to these antigens and develops an immune response and immune memory. In an mRNA vaccine, your body takes outside mRNA, turns it into the protein, the antigenic protein, and then lets your immune system respond to that specific antigenic protein. Remember, the dogma of DNA is DNA turns into mRNA and mRNA turns into proteins, right? And so we're just start, we're just having your body make the protein instead of making the protein in a lab. To review, mRNA vaccines have strands of genetic material called mRNA inside of a special coating. After being injected into your deltoid muscle, this special coating helps the mRNA stay intact while it's being eaten by dendritic cells and macrophages as part of your immune system. The cells are then transported to the nearest lymph node. They will then use the mRNA from the vaccine to make the spike protein from the SARS-CoV-2 virus, but really only a part of the spike protein. And your body will develop an immune response to this small portion of the spike protein that your cells used the mRNA from the vaccine to synthesize. After your dendritic cells go to the lymph node and present this new protein to the T cells, the T cells call upon your B cells by secreting cytokines, and they all have a three-way dance that results in SARS-CoV-2 IgG production. This IgG is the thing that makes you immune. You'll get another vaccine three to four weeks after your initial vaccine that will ensure more IgG production. Because this vaccine is just mRNA that gets coated into a small portion of a protein, there is no active or inactive form of the COVID-19 virus in the vaccine, and it allows your body to develop an immune response on its own. It feels like a big deal to me to inject genetic material into a person, and I think that people might reasonably be wondering about this. A lot of people also remember learning about RNA in their high school college biology classes when they learned about retroviruses, and so I want to parse this apart. Retroviruses like HIV are interesting and unique because this is a virus that contains an RNA genome that then gets reverse transcribed and integrated into your cell's DNA. This is a concept that makes retroviruses interesting to learn about and difficult to cure, but it is an exception to the rule. 
the COVID vaccine that contains mRNA just has your cells use that mRNA to make the antigenic protein, and then the mRNA gets degraded. In a retrovirus, reverse transcriptase turns that RNA into DNA and integrates it with your genome. In the COVID vaccine, the mRNA gets used to make a protein, and then it gets degraded. It doesn't get integrated into the nucleus of your cell, and it's not doesn't become a part of you in any way. People also might remember learning about mRNA when they learned about RNA interference, which I think is a different peripheral RNA topic that's interesting but wholly unrelated. So RNA interference is a technique that won the Nobel Prize in 2006. RNA interference, or RNAi, is an exciting technique because it's different and absolutely the exception to the central dogma of DNA. In RNA interference, researchers use one of two RNA subtypes, either small interfering RNA or microRNA. This subtype of RNA is taken up by a cell. It binds a specific messenger RNA and gets this messenger RNA degraded. So RNA interference is interesting. It won the Nobel Prize, but it's a way of preventing specific protein expression, and it has absolutely nothing to do with this vaccine. It stops gene expression, whereas in the COVID-19 vaccine, all we're doing is putting some mRNA into a cell and having the cell express the antigenic protein. All right. Another question that I think is reasonable and interesting is, have we ever used mRNA in vaccines before? According to the CDC guidelines, this is the first widespread administration of an mRNA vaccine, as we all know. But researchers have run some small clinical trials on mRNA vaccines for several viruses, including just the general flu, the rabies virus, the Zika virus, and cytomegalovirus, or CMV. These vaccines didn't make it to widespread production, probably because of the lack of a pandemic, but also because they didn't work well enough because A, the mRNA was being degraded before your cells made the protein, or B, the protein that the cells ended up producing didn't generate a robust enough immune response. There's also a note on the CDC webpage that some of these vaccines had post-vaccine inflammation that was too extreme to like justify the benefits of the vaccine, and I'm not exactly sure what the details of that are. So yes, We've tried to use mRNA vaccines before. Yes, we were thinking about multiple viruses for this. And no, none of these ever made it to production or like, you know, large, large safety trials. Patients might also wonder if researchers have injected mRNA into into subjects or patients for any other reason. And the answer to that question is an interesting yes. Researchers have tried to use this mRNA technique to have patients generate an immune response to specific proteins on cancer cells, making them, and I quote, fight their own cancer. This line of research is exciting to me, and it's not widespread. And the last and I think most important thing is why are we not using a normal vaccine? And I know that we all know the answer to this. This isn't news, but it's on the CDC website. They document that in mRNA vaccines, your body makes the antigenic protein and a company doesn't have to. And so this makes the vaccines a lot easier to manufacture and distribute quickly. And that is what we are doing. All right. So thank you for listening. We love to do a deeper dive um, and don't hesitate to reach out with your questions, comments, or concerns. You can find us on Twitter at the handle admitpeds, at pedsadmit on Instagram. And you can reach us anytime via Gmail at pedsadmit at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.
Thank you again for listening. I can't believe you made it past the theme song. I just like to thank Shafali Shandilia, obviously, as well as Nof Alsadi and um, Jeff Gunther for their peer review of this episode. We're obviously nothing without you guys.